Our text this morning is verses 1 through 8. Please hear the Word of God. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any as they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old. They were men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we have read Your Word, so I pray now that You would give... Uh, all of us wisdom, uh, myself as I proclaim it, and uh, all of our hearers, may we be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we ask in His name, Amen. The Bible is very clear and very serious that believers are not to marry unbelievers. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, God says, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and He would destroy you completely. And this is not just an Old Testament commandment for the people of Israel. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And that's another word for Satan. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? In other words, Christians are expressly forbidden from marrying unbelievers. Many Israelites ignored these commands. They took wives for themselves from among the neighboring nations. They also gave women that they took as spoils of war to their sons to be their wives. Many Israelite kings married the daughters of, uh, of allied kings. They also offered their, their daughters um, to the allied king's sons. Uh, and in the vast majority of cases, the Israelites were led away from God and into the worship of false idols because of their spouses. Like the Israelites... Many Christians today take these commands uh, to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers as only optional suggestions. Uh, but God is just as displeased with this practice today as when He originally gave the commands. And the results are typically the same as they were for the Israelites. 
um, who married unbelievers. Uh, Christians, when they marry unbelievers, they are typically influenced away from God rather than drawing the unbeliever uh, nearer to God. We saw last week that uh, God had intentionally, very intentionally, separated humanity into two different distinct families. The family of God, and sorry, this part of the congregation, I was doing it last week. Maybe I should switch my hands, but it would confuse me. Um, The family of Satan. Um, The family of God, prior to the flood, was traced through the descendants of Seth. And the family of Satan, prior to the flood, was was traced through the descendants of Cain. The distinguishing marks of the family of God are love for God and love for neighbor that spring forth from a a love and a trust uh, in God. And the distinguishing marks of the family of Satan are rebellion toward God and love of the world that spring from an overriding love of self. Now, I imagine some in the congregation might have thought that I used too strong a term when I said that, when I um, used um, the term children of Satan to describe unbelievers. I only use this term because Jesus used it. In John chapter 8, verses 39 through 44, here's what Jesus said. And he's speaking to the crowds, and they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so our Lord Jesus separated humanity into two different families himself, uh, following the lead of Genesis. Of course, uh, Jesus was in Genesis. Jesus was the one who um, who uh, made the distinction in Genesis. So uh, he is just making very explicit here that there are indeed two families, the children of God and the children of Satan. So God separated humanity into these two families. The reason He did this is He did not want the two lines to intermarry because He knew that the pull of the children of Satan would pull the the children of God away from God and toward worldliness. By the way, uh, here in our passage, uh, when, when we read of the sons of God, this is talking about the children of God, um, that, that godly line. And then also, when we read about the daughters of men or the sons of men, we're talking about the children of Satan. 
Uh, so in Genesis 6, verses 1 and 2, we find that even though God has made these two uh, lines very separate, what they are doing is they are coming back together. They are intermarrying. And so we have in Genesis 6, verses 1 and 2, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. So uh, here they are intermarrying. Not surprisingly, the family of God and the family of Satan become indistinguishable. Uh, the entire world, except for one lone individual, had become so worldly, so selfish, so violent, that it broke God's heart. Look at verse 6. And the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. Mankind was completely, totally, radically rebellious to God. Uh, I don't have time to go into the details of the Hebrew here in this passage uh, to illustrate just how violent, how ruthless mankind had become before the flood. But I will say this. Do you remember uh, what the Bible said when, when, uh, when Adam and Eve had a baby? It said that Adam knew Eve and she bore a son. The word know implies intimacy. It implies love. But here in our passage in verse 4, look at what it says. Um, halfway through the verse, it says, When the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. Um, what is being described here, um, to put it as politely as I can, is rape. Uh, the worship of God had so deteriorated, so vanished from the earth, that the children of God, the children, the descendants of Seth, were forcibly raping the daughters of of men, the daughters of Cain. They were, as it says in verse 2, they took any that they chose to be their wives. The world at this time was lawless. It was chaotic. It was violent. In a word, the world at this time before the flood was evil. And the children of God... Um, were, were there to act as a preservative. They were there to keep the ungodly line in check by living godly lives and developing a godly culture. But instead of doing that, they had come over to the ungodly line and developed and, and just been immersed completely into an ungodly culture. They became inundated by the world. They were like salt that loses its saltiness. It's good for nothing to be, except to be thrown out and trampled uh, underfoot by men. You know, Israel. Why did God choose Israel? They also were to be a shining example to the nations around them. 
they were to develop a godly culture under the theocracy, under God's commandments and laws. But they too became indistinguishable from the nations. God has the church here in the world. The church is the light of the world. The church, the Lord Jesus says, is a city set on a hill so that the world may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. But oh, how the light of the church grows dimmer when we become worldly. In Genesis 6, we find that there are no longer two families but there's only one family, the children of Satan, excluding, of course, Noah's family. So God decided to wipe out mankind and start over. He says, verse 3, My spirit shall not abide with man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. So God was going to give mankind uh, 120 years uh, before he brought the flood on the earth. Now, before I move on, I need to address an issue that comes up just about every time this passage is mentioned. Um, it's this issue in verse 4 of the Nephilim. The meaning of the word Nephilim is very uncertain. Most people believe that the Nephilim were giants because the King James translated it giants. Um, because of numbers, what, I think 32, 33, I think it is. And... Um, but there's no real certainty that it means giants. Others think it means fallen ones. Some think that the Nephilim were the result um, of fallen angels possessing men and then having sexual relations with women. Um, I was I was kind of mocking this view uh, last Sunday and in, in private conversations, also earlier this week. But I've read some very interesting articles on the whole subject this week. Um, several respected commentators uh, hold the view that this is talking about demons fathering children. Uh, I had never really reform read Reformed commentators uh, saying such things, but it's gaining more and more traction, apparently. Um, they made some strong arguments, but I'm not persuaded. Um, so I think I'm going to put the whole issue in the um, I'll ask God when I get to heaven file. Uh, I know that there are many here who would like to hear a fuller treatment of the issue. I'm just not comfortable um, that I'm able to say anything with, with a certitude that I would feel comfortable with. I think if I ha push comes to shove, I really think this passage is talking about the sons of God being the descendants of Seth, the children or the, the sons and daughters of men being the descendants of Cain. Um, and I think that's really, that's what the whole passage is driving us towards that conclusion. In fact, the whole message of the Bible drives us toward that conclusion. I read from Jesus. Uh, Jesus is making this distinction. Uh, we'll read from Ephesians 2, 2 verses 1 through 3, where um, Paul talks about the sons of disobedience. Uh, I think this whole tenor of Scripture points us in that direction. So, um, 
I had to make a decision. Uh, that's that's as close as I I can can come. But I say that there are some strong arguments for the other view. That being said, let me move on. Uh, why is it that mankind is so easily drawn from God toward worldliness? Why is it that the church is so easily drawn toward the world rather than the church drawing more and more people to the church and to godliness and to Christ? The answer to that question lies inside you. We have a heart problem. In fact, the heart of the problem is the problem of our hearts. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's an amazing verse. The intentions of one's thoughts are the deepest thoughts that a person has. These thoughts are the thoughts that ultimately control a person's action and the whole direction of their life. God says that all of mankind's thoughts were only evil continually. When was there time for mankind to have a good, a God-honoring thought? If the deepest intentions of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually, never. Mankind's depravity was complete Now, it's very tempting because this is before the flood. It's very tempting to believe that then God sent the flood to start over with a better quality of people. But mankind's hearts did not change for the better after the flood. In fact, listen to this verse. It's in uh, Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. Listen to God's assessment of mankind's heart right after the flood. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth or from childhood. Neither will I ever strike down every creature as I have done. Even after the flood, mankind's heart is only evil continually. It's a condition we are born with because of the, because of the fall. Genesis seventeen nine, Jeremiah. I'm sorry, not Genesis seventeen nine. Jeremiah seventeen nine. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus also knew this about mankind's heart. In John chapter two verses twenty three through twenty five, listen to how Jesus will not entrust himself to the crowds who were who were wanting to trust in Him because He knew that their hearts were evil. He says, Now when, when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in His name when they saw the signs that He was doing. But Jesus on His part did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For He Himself knew what was in a man. See, the people were seeing Jesus' works and they were seeing His miracles and they were entrusting the, they were believing in, in Him 
But they were doing it simply because of the miracles. They weren't really trusting in Jesus. Jesus knew just how depraved the heart of mankind is and He would not entrust Himself to them. Uh, I mentioned Ephesians 2, 1-3 a few moments ago. We also studied this passage while we studied the fall a few weeks back. Um, Ephesians 2, 1-3 And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Of course, the prince of the power of the air is Satan among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the, the rest of man, mankind. And then we read Romans uh, chapter 3. Um, I want to remind you of it again. Listen to how the Bible describes mankind. It's a tough passage. Um, for people to embrace. I remember preaching on this passage in Panama City, Florida. Uh, my wife will remember um, the, uh, the the lady that I that I'm speaking of. She walked up to me after I was I had preached on this passage, and she said, "I know it's in the Bible, but I'm not that bad." <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, I hope God is working His faith in you this morning so that you will be able to be humble enough to accept, accept uh, and receive His assessment of mankind in general and of you in particular. Here's Romans 3, 9 through 18. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. All of this lies inside us. All humanity would be uh, would be practicing all of these things were it not for God's restraining hand upon mankind. Even when mankind before the flood was going off the deep end uh, in wickedness, there was still God's restraining hand. Otherwise, mankind would have killed each other before they even had a chance <laughs> to be killed by the flood. We are evil inside ourselves. And here's the reason why this is so important for me to bring up and to drive home. To understand the depth of evil in your heart, uh, I'm sorry, to underestimate the depth of evil in your heart is a dangerous thing. It's like, uh, it's like uh, the same danger that comes with underestimating an enemy. It exposes you to easy defeat. And secondly... Most importantly, you will not grasp your need to 
Embrace Jesus Christ in all His grace if you do not understand the depth of your sin. Jesus said, the one who has been forgiven much is the one who loves much. There's a third reason why I bring this up. And that is, if you, estimate, if you underestimate the depth of evil in your heart, you will also underestimate the reality of God's judgment. God is a righteous judge. He must punish every instance of disobedience. He must punish every evil thought. There is no escape. There must be an accounting. God has established two different ways for our sins to be dealt with. One way involves justice and grace. The other way involves only justice. The way of justice and grace um, is, is that God lays uh, a person's sins on the neck of Jesus Christ so that Jesus takes the full brunt of God's wrath for those sins. Justice, because those sins must be paid for. Grace, because Jesus Christ stands in our stead and bears the brunt for us. Or, the other way of justice, we bear the full brunt of our sins for eternity. Because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice of infinite value, He was able to pay the full price um, for an eternity of our of, of sinners' sins on the cross. Which option do you choose? Justice or justice and grace? God relented in His judgment against the pre-flood peoples uh, for 120 years. But the time came when those 120 years were up. God shut up uh, Noah and his family in the ark and everybody on the face of the earth, was wiped out. In Luke 17, Jesus told the crowds who were following, following Him, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And then the floods came and destroyed them all. The final judgment cannot be evaded. It cannot be avoided. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Our lives will be judged by God. And it is even more certain that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ than even taxes and death. But there's only one way of escape. And that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter likens the ark that Noah entered into um, as, um, as Christ who safely brings us through the flood of God's judgment. Christ is the ark. If you believe, God's, if you believe God now, the grace of God will deliver you and save you. Do not defend yourself. Do not try and justify yourself. Simply believe God's Word. Believe God's Word about you. It's testimony that you are a sinner. 
Acknowledge your sin. Don't try and hide from it. Don't, don't try and evade the justice, the judgment. Turn away from your sin. Turn to God. Trust in Jesus Christ. Trust that God has prepared Christ as your ark to carry you through the flood of God's justice. The Lord Jesus Christ, who bore our sins on Himself, that He might carry us safely into God's presence. Noah found the way of escape. Or rather, the way of escape found him. Look at verse 8 and we are right at our conclusion. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Why was it that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord? It's because God loved Noah. And God said, I am going to place my grace on Noah. Noah is going to be my chosen vessel to continue humanity. And Noah was part, he, he was a child of Eve, a sinner. Every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually before God changed him. But God poured His grace on Noah. And Noah, through Christ, um, began, loved God and uh, God used him to bring uh, humanity through the flood. Do you belong to God this morning? Will you escape the flood of God's justice on the day of judgment? Jesus Christ is our ark. Trust in Him now. Trust in Him completely. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we see ourselves in the pre-flood humanity. The, self, uh, the same hearts that we observe uh, in them resides in us. And God, were it not for Your restraining grace, our culture would go down the tubes in a heartbeat. It's already daily, moment by moment, being pulled in that direction. God, I ask that if there are any here who do not know the Lord Jesus, that You would draw them to Himself. Father, if there are any here who are being pulled by worldliness away from God, I pray that You would sever those ties and bring them back to Yourself. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of response this